What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, before we get into part two of our mailbag, we got some Sabres news to kick off today's episode, and that would be Zach Benson, the Sabres' 13th overall pick in the 2023 NHL Draft, has signed his entry-level contract. Now, this doesn't mean that Benson is going to be on the Sabres next year by any means. It is very, very, very likely, like 99.9% likely that he's going to return to Winnipeg of the WHL, get another year in juniors before he eventually is able to make the jump. However, what this does allow the Sabres to do is have Benson report to either the Sabres or the Americans at the end of his season in the WHL, similar to what Matt Savoy did this past year. Benson has, I think, in a lot of ways, skyrocketed to a lot of people's lists of the Sabres' top prospects ahead of guys like Matt Savoy and Yuri Kulik and even Devin Levi uh, in a lot of, of national pundits' lists. I think it's a testament to the kind of player that we have here, his potential, his skill level, what he really brings to the table. I mean, Savoy was in his draft plus one year and ended up having an exceptional season down the stretch, especially in the second half of the year, really picking up his game. But Benson in his draft year outscored him. He in general was really the engine that made that Winnipeg ice team run. And it's really exciting to get him under his ELC. And hopefully we'll be able to see him in either a Sabres or Amherst Jersey before the end of this upcoming season. So Taylor, what are your thoughts on Benson signing his ELC? Well, it's great. Obviously, necessary part of the process, but I kind of agree with you and like everyone else. I, I think he'll be in Winnipeg for another year, so it's it's hard to get too excited, but it'll be nice, especially if the Sabres like are good this year and like are on you know the path to make the playoffs to just also have that in your back pocket. Like, like for example, like oh, he could be the highest scoring player in the in the W next year, and that would be such a cool thing to have, even if he's playing with Savoy there, which is also a possibility. Uh, just to have that like on top of them already being a good team. I think that's uh, that'll be very exciting. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I think that that component of it, like he very well could. I, I can't remember where he falls exactly in that, but there was uh, uh, somebody had pulled the stats from the WHL over the past two seasons. And I think he was only second to Connor Bedard in scoring in that time. Wow. So or he's in like the top four. I want to know who's that at least in the top four. Not a big prospect guy. Who is, would you say Clifton Bedard? Clifton Bedard. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now is he good? Is he considered a good prospect? Uh, he's okay. Yeah, he went to the Chicago should probably change your jerseys. I don't know if you've ever heard of that team before, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I He's, he's all right. But I, I think this is a really exciting move. I think it's very likely, too, that he's going to play with Savoy. Now, on last episode, we had talked a little bit about the prospect of Savoy getting a 90-game trial this year. But I think just with the way that the roster is shaking out right now, it's probably more likely than not that Savoy is going to get another year in the WHL. However, I think this brings up a very interesting thing that we're going to have to start thinking about here. And a lot of it's going to come down to, obviously, their respective development tracks and everything like that. But also on last episode, I had posed the idea of next year potentially having a third line of Matt Savoy centering Yuri Kulik and Zach Benson. Yeah, that'd be cool. I think that'd be 24, very, very 24, 25. Cool. 24, 25, yes. That's great. I that, think that, that would, would be, be awesome. very interesting. I think both Savoy and Kulik 
I would be shocked if they weren't ready for full-time NHL duty by that point. And we'll see how this year goes for Benson, how obviously his game ends up translating to the NHL with him being a smaller player. But again, I think that similar to Savoy, both of them being smaller players, they both have traits that will make their games conducive to an NHL style and be able to still play at that kind of a, a high level, even though they are maybe a little bit more on the smaller side. So very exciting stuff here to to come with Zach Benson. Maybe we'll be talking about him a little bit more and these upcoming remaining mailbag questions that we have. Taylor, are we ready to get into it? Yep. All right. So our next mailbag question picking off uh, from last episode, we have Matt Scott. He asked, if you had to make one trade or signing this offseason, what would it be? And who is your number one free agent target next offseason? Also, have either of you watched Bodyguard? Taylor, you want to go first? Yeah, I haven't watched Bodyguard. <laughs> um, no, I don't know what that is, but. It seems it's, uh, it's a Netflix drama. Mm, well, maybe I will. Uh, I don't know. I honestly, you know what? Actually, I do know the answer to the first question. If you had to make one trade or signing this offseason. Yeah, easy. I would trade for Carter Hart, <laughs> but it's not clear that he's available or if he was available, the Sabres would be willing to meet the Flyers demands, but that would be my number one in terms of realistic potential moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as next offseason goes, I don't look a year ahead in free agency because you really never know who's actually going to be available. Like if we talked last year at this time about this, this should have been a great summer for free agency, but mm-hmm. all those guys resigned. Like, oh, but David Pasternak, free agent? No. <laughs> Did not happen, no, because most guys resign anyway. So I don't think you can look a year ahead. And I also, it just feels like more and more that very few actual good players go to free agency. Yeah, that's very fair. Well, luckily for our listeners, I did look ahead and pull a few names for next year. So to start off, though, for the first question, uh, trader signing this offseason, I'm with you in terms of goalie, but I just go back to obviously, you know, in addition to Hart, I would be open to that idea. But just all the guys that we've talked about, I mean, I would offer Sheet Swayman something that you have been a big proponent of, or yeah. even make a move for Lena Solmark. If Anaheim were to retain a, a good amount of money, I would be okay even with Gibson and the premise of that. I've come to terms that it's not happening, but I'm still not all the way off of the heli buck train too, to be completely honest, but yeah, it's goalie hundred percent for, for the move this off season. So for next year, it's interesting. I pulled a, a couple guys, a few forwards and a few defensemen that are going to be UFAs given their respective situations. Maybe there is an opportunity, like a, a chance that they would be able to make it to free agency. Just in the fact that it's some cap strap teams, it's teams that, have they're they're not necessarily like the the marquee premier guy on their team and if you are in a little bit of a money crunch and you have some tough decisions to make maybe they sneak their way into free agency again not super likely but still either way so obviously i would be remiss if i did not start off this with the the possibility of at least a forward that intrigues me uh one mr sam reinhardt he's going to be a ufa at the end of this year i i have a a hunch that florida is going to prioritize keeping him he did take a little bit of a step back this past season as compared to his first season with the Panthers, where he was playing at over a point per game pace. He ended up really picking it up along the stretch for them. Um, And of course, as a key piece for that team, he plays on the first power play unit there. He's, he's huge for them. And he was actually playing a bit of center for them last year too. So I don't know necessarily if he's going to make it to the UFA market, but again, I just think it's, he's just the guy that I, I keep in mind with that. A couple of others, speaking of cash strap teams, if it's a possibility, 
I'm not opposed to William Nylander as somebody that the Sabres were going to would would go after just because, again, I mean, I know obviously he plays for Toronto and there's no way that a, a trade would ever happen in that sense. But Nylander is good. He is really, really good. And he is a bona fide, definite, unquestioned upgrade to the top six. He, he would be amazing. And it gives you additional roster flexibility too. with, you know, like we had said, with that third line with the three young guys, like if that doesn't end up panning out next year, um, that gives you a little bit of a, a buffer period there where you don't have to rush a guy if you don't want to. And it just gives you way more depth then because then you can pivot a guy like Paterka to your your third line or depending on how like Jeff Skinner's age curve is. You know, I think Skinner's game is going to be able to age pretty gracefully, but you don't have to have him attached to the hip with Tage. And I think that Skinner's the kind of guy that he scores for five. On, he scores at five on five for you. Maybe he's somebody that ends up being a nice piece to play with like Peyton Krebs, for example, on a potential third line a couple years from now. Uh, and then on defense, there's a few guys that I think are really interesting. So right now, as we've talked about, we have Connor Clifton here. He's probably going to get the first crack at playing next to power. But I don't think either of us or really anybody who follows the team think that he is the long-term solution next to power. Uh, and so there's a few guys that I think would maybe fill that void in in that sense. And uh, it's a couple a couple guys off the bat that we had talked about as being rumored uh, to be connected to the Sabres or that the Sabres may be going after. Uh, Brett Pesci, for one, from Carolina. I think that there's no way that Carolina is going to be able to keep him. Uh, just they're again, a cap strap team. They just re-signed Aho to a big extension. So I think that he's going to be the casualty there. Uh, it, it seems like it, at least considering his name's been on the trade market, Noah Hannafin, he is also going to be a UFA at the end of next year. He's a little bit lower than Pesci for me in terms of priority and, and just overall who I think would be a, a good fit. And the third name that I think is an interesting one. And I think it's maybe a realistic one as we're talking about cash strap teams he would potentially be playing on the offside in this scenario, depending on where you would want to put him. But Devontae's from Colorado, mm. he's going to be a UFA. He has been incredible. There has flourished on that blue line in Colorado. He's played next to Kale McCarr. He's just, uh, again, a, a rock solid presence for you. He's won a cup. And I think that he would be just a, a significant addition to that top four. It's not a long-term fixture by any means, but I think, you know, with him being 30 years old, uh, he'll be 31, I think, by the time uh, next offseason comes around. If you're able to get him on a not long-term deal, I think that's somebody that is is very, very interesting and could be a really cool piece. And then I'm going to just throw out one other name because this team is absolutely in shambles and they're in denial of it. And I know we say this every year that, oh, maybe this will be the year that they realize that they need to tear it all down or they need to do this or that or just change it up. But the Vancouver Canucks have Elias Pettersson as an RFA next year. Is he going to want to stick around in that scenario? Is he going to stay in that setting? I don't know. Maybe not. And if that's the case and he is an RFA, we've been talking about the fact that you have all of these pieces, you have all of these young guys, and we don't know how they're going to turn out and the timing in which you know is the right time to trade them and make this big splash. Let me tell you right now, it doesn't matter – which of the guys outside of the top three of, of Benson, Kulik, and Savoy, and hell, you could even maybe even make the argument to include one of them in a, in a deal like this for a guy like Pedersen, but Rosean, Ostland, the next couple of firsts, all of that, like all on the table. I mean, there's a, a lot of guys. Like we talked about Paterka as a potential piece. Like he's on the table. Krebs, Middlestat, like 
for a guy like Patterson to get a player of that caliber, if he is not happy with his situation in, in Vancouver, if he is on the market and available and, and Vancouver's listening to offers for him, that's the kind of guy that you throw damn near about everybody that isn't considered an untouchable prospect uh, into an offer for that to maybe make that move happen. Yeah. So should we, the next question should we tackle uh, something that's kind of similar? Sure. Andrew asked, uh, you know, goalie wise, who's left to trade acquire. So Andrew says who's left to trade or for acquisition. I'm fearful. This season is resting in the shoulders of a goalie with seven games of pro hockey experience, another with 49 and another with 46. So that's kind of similar in the acquisition train. Yep. Uh, Andrew, no one good is left. It doesn't seem like, because there's been no talk and no movement on the actual good goalies that were quote unquote, potentially on the market. Carter Hart, like I mentioned before, you mentioned Hellebuck. People talked about Saros for a little bit. There's been no movement on that, seemingly. And there's been no it, it just not, it's not come up at all. Like it 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 doesn't seem like any of those guys are getting moved that offseason. So trade wise, I don't know. I mean, theoretically that could always pick back up. Acquisition wise, no one. Like no. base date, everyone got re-signed. The guys that were around who I wasn't that thrilled about anyway, like the the Tomas Grices of the world. Grace uh, retired. I don't know. I, I think that basically at this point, you can't just sign a goal. You could expect to be better than like Comrie or UPL. But I, I hear you, Andrew, like Levi, so inexperienced, so young, like even you can have all the faith in the world in him. It's tough to be like, you're sure that he's going to be good next year. And I think he put it a nice way, just describing UPL and Comrie by their lack of experience, because you might also describe them by their uh, lack of success. In that experience they do have. And for UPL, that tracks down to the AHL level. So, uh, yeah, I I hear you, man. But I don't, unless something really picks up on the trade front, I do not think that there's anything the Sabres really can do at this point. I agree. I agree. I think we kind of answered that with the last question a bit. Like, all the names we mentioned are the ones that are really the only of interest at this stage of the game. And, yeah, I mean, that is... I would say the storyline going into this season, we know it's the playoffs obviously, and you got to make it, but I just, it, it, it feels like not like you're setting yourself up for failure approaching it in this way, but goddamn, it is risky. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. On to the next, shall we? Yep. What are your thoughts if Darlene doesn't get his extension done this off season? And that one comes from Zach Pirini. Zach, let me answer this very succinctly for you. It's bad, 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 bad. I don't think, though, that we have anything to worry about there. This also ties into another question. Uh, Bub Schwartz asks, is the latest shakeup at PSE delaying the power slash Darlene deals? And no, um, our understanding is that, and this also, I mean, from Chad Dominicus, he had that the deal is pretty much done. And from what we have heard, at least, is that, they just want him to be back in the States. He's been traveling a bit. He's not back in America right now. There was actually a, uh, I saw a tweet this morning that had video of him skating in Sweden. Um, So I'm assuming, and again, this is just from like stuff that we've heard from people that they just want him back in America before they announce that so that he could be here to, you know, sign it and for all the press with it and everything like that. Um, so yeah, no, I but it would be very bad. Like if I'll be honest, I think even if they don't get the power one done too, like it's not like catastrophic by any means, but like 
they should get both of these done before the the season starts 100% full stop. And if Darlene's at least doesn't get done, something has gone very, very, very wrong. I, I agree. And I, I don't, I also don't think the shakeup at PSE has anything to do with it. No, basically. Uh, I think basically because the, the big shakeup is on the bill side. So, and right. really the business side more than the bills. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to our next one. Thank you guys both for those questions. Let's switch it up for a little bit of Bills and our pal Mike Drebot asking Bills expectations at this point. You should still have high expectations, in my opinion. You have Josh Allen. That's the main thing that matters. You have him. He's probably theoretically more healthy this year. You have one of the best wide receivers in the league in Stephon Diggs. Maybe, hopefully, you have an improved running game. Hopefully, you have an improved offensive line. We'll see on that front. And eventually you have Von Miller back for the second half of the year. So I think it's actually probably a good thing going into the season with lower expectations uh, because last year the expectations are sky high. In a few weeks, a few weeks it worked. Uh, the other thing I would say with, with the expectations is there's no reason to – not no reason. There's a lot of reasons that people think based on the second half of last season that – the, the Bills are headed for a, a tough season, especially considering the schedule. They were not good in the second half, even during their win streak. Their win streak was so long, and it was so unimpressive every week. Yep. It was crazy. They won like nine straight games, and or eight straight games it was. And honest, I don't know if I've ever seen a, a win streak that they've had that long. And were any of them actually good wins? <laughs> like It was the most frustrating thing. I feel like we talked about it on an episode last season that – it's like comical thinking back to like the drought era and just when we first like broke into the playoffs and everything like that. And just the amount of suffering that we've all had to go through as bills fans to now at this point last year, them winning 13, 14 games and uh, or 13 games last year. And they're just well, 14. Off. If you include the playoffs, yeah, including the playoffs. Yeah. But they, they just, they, they go on this streak and every week it's like, Oh my God, they won. But that was absolutely brutal. Oh, they just picked up their 10th win, but like, Oh my God, God, like that was so frustrating. You know, it's just funny to think of how far we've come in a, in a pretty short amount of time. Absolutely. But last year was kind of, it was, is funny because going into the season, the whole thing was like, can the bills win close games? And then they lost to the dolphins. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if they can. And then they just won exclusively close games. Basically yep. they like the, the Ravens game was super close, but like the second half of the season that I was referencing, like they beat the jets in a really ugly game. And it was like, Mike white got hurt, got his ribs broken by Milano. And it was, it was I don't remember who they brought in to replace him. Was it Zach Wilson? I don't know. Uh, that was not that fun of a game. <laughs> no, wasn't it Flacco? Oh, it's Flacco. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that, that game wasn't that fun. Like the Browns game was super close. The lions game. It was just about a bunch of games like that. And even the games they won by more than a score were the bears game where the bears had the ball with a chance to tie in the fourth quarter. The Bills scored two late touchdowns, so it looked crazier than it was. And then the, the Patriots game, which they won because they had two kickoff returns for touchdown. Yep. It's so, crazy. Yeah, so I, I see why the, the whole argument, like, they lost three games by a combined eight points versus they uh, di weren't, didn't look impressive in the second half of the year. I would say this. Regardless of how they looked, and they didn't look that great, they still won those games and they won those games because they have talent. They have a great quarterback. And during the regular season, they have a great coach. <laughs> um, yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes they don't in the playoffs. Sometimes that guy goes away and he's replaced with the most cowardly man who ever lived, who is terrified. But for the most part, McDermott is a great coach. 
I don't know what happens in big games in the playoffs. I don't, I don't get it. Like it doesn't yeah. even happen in big games in the regular season. Uh, but yeah. And then, you know, Oliver resigns. So hopefully he's, he has a good year. Him and Rousseau can hold down the fort in the defensive line until, you know, Von Miller comes back. So we'll see if Miller's healthy for the playoffs. I'll feel great. And they can win the Super Bowl. That's a big thing. So your expectations should be high and your standards should be high. And I think the bills are going to be pretty good. Yeah, me too. I think it's good for them too, that they almost have a chip on their shoulder going into this season, just because of how hyped up they were last year. And then obviously not meeting those expectations and they're being overlooked on the national level. It's like night and day from last year. And I think you had mentioned you have Josh Allen, you have one of the, we'll call it like pretty safely three best three to five best quarterbacks in the entire league. You have somebody who has the abilities to do things that very few of any other people at the quarterback position are able to do on top of that. You had mentioned Vaughn coming back. We also are getting Micah Hyde back. You're going to have Trey having a full off season and a full season under his belt. I mean, he's coming back. He came back last year, coming back off of uh, an ACL tear and having to recover from that. Um, and again, for me, like you just cannot overstate how important Micah Hyde is to the defense. And so having, and, and you weren't expecting to have Poyer back too, um, you know, for all of his just incredible opinions that he has, uh, he is a, he's a damn good football player and he's integral, he's an integral piece to that defense. I mean, weren't they undefeated with him last year? Right. Wasn't that like the crazy stat that like, uh, or one loss, right? Or one loss, whatever it was. I mean, he's, game. Yeah, but I mean, having those guys in your secondary is huge. I think then, you know, you talked about some of the younger guys there, whether it is, you know, Rousseau or Oliver or, you know, Kair Elam or Benford, um, being able to to step up and, and progress a little bit more. And then maybe you get somebody on the offensive side of the ball that surprises you. Like if Cook is really able to step into this RB1 role, that'll be great. But you also have Damian Harris to be able to, to, to supplement him a little bit. And then, you know, among the receivers, like, Who's going to step up? Also, Dalton Kincaid seems like he's the real deal. So I think for the Bills, that they're in a good spot in that they feel confident. They've gotten their shit together from the offseason, you know, drama that they were dealing with. And they have pieces that I don't think, for one, they were expecting to have this coming season. Obviously, there's some losses. You know, you lose Tremaine Edmonds. That's a big thing. But um, I think adding Kincaid is huge. I think that the upgrades to the offensive line are going to be a big deal too. I mean, Osiris Torrance seems like he's going to end up being a steal with where they got him in the second round. On top of that, you also get Connor McGovern too to supplement that offensive line. And that feels like it's maybe tiptoeing on a strength for you, like a legitimate strength for the first time in a while. I know there's still questions that like right tackle with Spencer Brown and whatnot, but it just, it, it seems like the the pieces are there for them. And I, I think the other side of that too, that we haven't really mentioned other than saying obviously with Tremaine Edmonds leaving but like if they could figure out what they're doing at middle linebacker you know I I think that they're going to be primed for like a a legitimate run and the fact that people are are doubting them a bit and are you know a little bit lower on them and so much higher on the Jets with Rodgers going there and obviously you know national pundits like love the Dolphins but can't wait for that Stefan Diggs Eli Apple matchup that's going to be sick um I, I just I think that the the bills are in a in a good spot and I'm happy with the fact that they're not getting a lot of national love because that stuff does matter and I think that's something that McDermott kind of like for all of his faults I think he gets in their heads really well in that sense yeah definitely motivating them 
it's yeah i'm excited for the fall uh before we get to anything else though let's hear a word from our sponsors let's this episode is brought to you by DraftKings. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code THPN. About just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN for the Hockey Cop Podcast Network, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050. Or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY. Or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 100-GAMBLER or visit www.100gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races in Connecticut, help is available for problem, t- problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age will vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus leg requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. This podcast is also brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. Folks. Have you been to Thin Man recently? If not, you should be because Thin Man has the best selection of beer in Western New York. They even have some cocktails these days. And at their location, which is located on Chandler and Black Rock, they also have wood-fired uh, Tapo Pizza, which Brendan is a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. And people don't know this because Brendan's played Thin Man Chandler probably a half dozen times before yeah, every show. Say, yeah. Maybe like a dozen times before yeah. every show, Brendan eats an entire pizza in front of the rest of Slow Animals, and they're mm-hmm. not allowed to have a slice unless the show goes well. Yeah, so, you wouldn't believe how sweaty I get eating that pizza. Yeah, shirt off in a oh, show of yeah. dominance. Mm. Uh, yeah, people have called Brendan the uh, the. You know, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to make that joke. That's too mean of a joke. What are we, is it going to be a Papa John's joke? No, that would have been way better. What, you, what were you going to say? Papa Brendan. No, I'm not even going to say it. I'll tell you after. Thanks, Papa man. Brendan <laughs> gets all sweaty and is just like, Dave Reckoning is coming. <laughs> and, Your Papa and, uh, John's impersonation is my favorite, and I'm glad that we're now integrating it into the Thin Man ads. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. Uh, anyway, Thin Man, great place. And hey, it's also just a great place to hang out, even if you don't like craft beer. So, Check it out, folks, and, uh, you know, look for your favorite Thin Man beers in your local grocery store. They're probably there. Uh, this is a good week of the year. The first week of August, that's actually Buffalo's uh, Super Freak Week. So if you, uh, you're you interested in having a, a nice local IPA, Super Freak, check it out. Brandon, anything to add? We love Thin Man, folks. Make sure you're following them. On social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Thin Man Brewery. Check out their website, too, to keep up with all the latest news and notes. It's a great time over there. We are st- – I know we've been saying it, I feel like, forever now. Taylor and I have just both had a lot of stuff going on and have traveling and everything like that. We are going to be announcing our next trivia night soon. That's going to be taking place at Thin Man Chandler, so that's going to be really exciting. But, yeah, make sure you're going over there. You're checking out uh, the great food that they have. They really do have a, a killer menu there. The while I do not crush an entire pizza prior to our performances, I do love going there to get a bite to eat because of all the great selections there. I've been there for, for some other trivia nights as well, and it's just great beer selection, great food selection, great times, great atmosphere. So check out Thin Man Chandler. You will not regret it. Are we ready to get back into these questions, Taylor? Yeah. 
All right, we only got a few more to go, and I, we got a fun one for the next one. At J underscore Ho 92 asks, top five hockey jerseys of all time. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I'll go first. I have something together. And uh, thank you, Jeremy, for the question. Jeremy is picking me up in like an hour. Uh, true story. No way. So he doesn't know that we're doing this question right now. Oh, man. Uh, I, you know, as a colorful guy, a child of the 90s, I had to go with the Mighty Ducks as one of them. That's mm. definitely in the top five classic. It was base. It was unlike anything that had been done before. It, uh, not just because it was based on a children's movie, uh, but it, it's on, it's a, such a cool color, such a cool design, very inspired. And it's so of its time. It's incredible. Uh, I'll go with one classic one. My favorite original six logo is the Red Wings. Their jerseys are great. In my opinion, very sharp. I love the red pants. Mm too which is a nice touch uh just it's fantastic I, I think that's my favorite classic one uh i'm wearing for people that can't see i'm wearing a nordiques hat right now because i love the nordiques logo they obviously it doesn't exist anymore but that's that's something we really lost something there and i hope at some point when the nhl expands to 34 teams that quebec can get a team back because i think that'd be great uh, additionally, I'll mention Brendan and people uh, that knew me from ages 16 to 24 know that I wore a Whalers hat everywhere for like eight yeah, years. Did. And yeah, so I've, I love the Whalers as well. Fantastic, fantastic jerseys, fantastic logos. The Carolina Hurricanes should be forced to move and their arena should be burned down and they should have to be the Whalers again. And they should have to play in a mall. I like that a lot. I think that's a very, that's maybe your most measured and realistic take agree yeah definitely i love being measured and realistic and i love hockey teams that play in a mall and have their own goal song <laughs> like that was composed by someone that works for the team mm-hmm. brass bonanza oh my god i love that i love everything about the whalers they're such a relic i can't believe i in real life i watched the whalers play hockey in person one time that feels impossible that seems so like something lucky. that would have happened a hundred years ago uh and then one more Another classic one that doesn't exist anymore, and this is not one people talk about a lot, but I think it's it's so goofy that I like it. The Oakland Seals. Oh yeah, they're green ones. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Are you okay? You're saying not the California, not the Golden Seals though. Not the Golden Seals. Oakland the Seals. Oakland yeah. Seals. I like that. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. It's it's not as popular, but I I think it's funny. Well, we do have a little bit of overlap. We have two overlaps here. So getting those off off the bat, we have Mighty Ducks. That's a no-brainer for me, too. I absolutely love that. I have said many times that they were – I mean, Paul Correa is my second favorite hockey player of all time. And Who's it, one? What's that? Who's number one? Danny Breer. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and if Anaheim goes back to Eggplant and Teal, those jerseys, they would immediately catapult into being my West team. It's just that simple. They're this jer- guy's just going to leave the Blues behind? I have left After the Blues everything- behind. Wow. No, you I mean, get- I still like I But do you still- love Jordan Bennington. <laughs> Again, you have Thomas Grice. I have Jordan Bennington. You know, <laughs> our boys. Great guys. Uh, Goalies are so cool. Yeah, they're really, really sane people. Uh, but no, I still do like the blues, but it's, I mean, I like the ducks before I like the blues though. That was kind of like the transition is that like once they, cause I get th- those jerseys are hideous. The, the immediate jerseys after they switched were so ugly. They got a little bit better with like the latest iteration. And now that they're actually using wild wing again and that they're having like the orange jerseys and stuff, those ones are cool. 
But Anaheim, I think, is in desperate need of getting away from like the black, golden, orange. Like, I think that they just either you go back to the eggplant and teal or you lean into like orange and another color or something, because I really just I don't really like that color combination that much. And the jerseys like again, they're just kind of boring. Like you had such a unique jersey. You had such an iconic jersey that people just had this real connection with. And I get it that obviously there's like the sale and everything like that. But like you could go back. You know, yeah. I, I forgot if we mentioned this on the last episode, I wanted to, but there was a really, really good tweet that somebody had the other day that was like, how much of the NHL, it's probably like 95% of the NHL would be so much better served if all the teams just been, went back to their jerseys from the early mid nineties. And like, that's yeah. not a nostalgia thing. It's just like straight up. The designs were way better. Yeah. I think there's people out there that don't like the nineties aesthetic across sports, mm-hmm. which I understand. I would say this though. The 70s had an aesthetic. There's a classic logo aesthetic. Yeah. 90s aesthetic. There is like the off, the only odds thing was making every jersey black. Everyone has a black variation of their jersey. And now it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Every new jersey pretty much is bad. And there's no real like rhyme or reason to it. And the main thing people like and get excited for is throwbacks. Well, yeah. I mean, look at Arizona. Arizona's a perfect example. They go back to the to their original jerseys and they're a huge hit and everybody loves it. And it's like, yeah, this is way better than what you were doing before. If Anaheim does that, it is the Arizona jerseys times like a million. Yeah, it, they did win. Better. They won the cup the year they changed their name and changed their jerseys. Mm-hmm. So they probably didn't help in that regard. No, not necessarily. Anyways, continuing on the Whalers green. Honestly, all the Whalers jerseys for me are up there. I love the green, the white and the Navy blue ones are are really cool too. I think, uh, I think Navy blue for me is like a weird color. I have a weird relationship with it because of, I think the Sabres jerseys now, because I, I know I talked about this before they made the switch to, to Royal on here a couple of times. So this is probably what, like two or three seasons ago. But I think that when they made the change to the last version of the jerseys when they were the the navy blues that rather than yellow it should have been gold i think navy blue and gold goes much better than navy blue and just like that straight up like kind of yellow that they pass as gold or whatever yeah um and and i just think navy blue jerseys sometimes like it's hard for teams to kind of stick the landing with those like seattle i think is a perfect example seattle has a sick logo i think their color scheme is really cool overall but i do not think that their main jersey should be navy blue i think they could do something way more creative than that i digress though either way the hartford navy blues though i think are really cool um but the green hartfords are great my other three that i have the king's purple jerseys 70s kings jerseys that they brought back as an alternate uh a a year or two ago i think those are so sick those purple and gold ones are awesome and la is another team that it is so perplexing if there's like one well no i shouldn't say that because anaheim is probably number one but of my like top five nhl jersey takes that i have los angeles is a team that would be better served with literally any of their other jersey designs from over the years being their primary jerseys that's being the purple and golds that would be the 90s jerseys of like the black and white ones that they had when like it was like robitaille and gretzky there and then even like the the early 2000s ones i think are even better than their current ones their current ones i think are so boring i don't like the piping on them i think that the logo is just like i I don't like the emblem kind of logo that they have right now i think that either of the crown logos that they've used in the past are are better than that and their 90s logo i think is better than that too so the kings i think one million percent should do a rebrand and go classic in some way shape or form but i love those purple and golds 
Other twos that I really like, Minnesota North Stars green jerseys. Those ones I think are really sick. I think green is like a really sharp color on, on hockey jerseys. I hope that Minnesota honestly like switches to their reverse retro kits rather than their current ones. Um, but love the North Stars greens. Also the North Stars black ones too, as an honorable mention, I think are really great. And then my last one, 90s San Jose Sharks jerseys. Those teal jerseys from the 90s run so beautiful i love 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 san jose's color scheme i love their setup i think that their most recent jerseys that they uh they came out with with their rebrand i think are really solid but uh their alternate that they have that's like the 90s variation of that i think is so sharp and i think that just those 90s like the gray and uh or the the teal and grays are just so so nice so those those are my top five all right that's a good top five Thanks, Taylor. Let's move on to a non-hockey one. TJQ asks, what is the best non-Buffalo Midwestern city? Chicago. Yeah. I think also, Chicago. I, I, I got to say, Buffalo is not the Midwest. Buffalo is the Great Lakes. We share the Great Lakes with the Midwest. That's yeah. the region I think Buffalo fits the best in is Great Lakes. And it's not even – Chicago is a better city than Buffalo. <laughs> like, Chicago is one of the great cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Chicago is my favorite city in the country. I will say, though, as an honorable mention, Minneapolis is up there. I think Minneapolis is number two for me. Of, oh, of I forgot you are a big Kirk Cousins guy. Love Kirk Cousins, man. Yeah, okay. You like that, Taylor? You like that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, the Great Lakes – you know what? At, people say that the Great Lakes actually has the seven best cities. In America. This is true. This is true. A so, lot of people believe that. Buffalo ranking number one among them, though. Cleveland. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, Chicago is a wonderful place. In fact, I like Cleveland. So I know everyone likes to laugh at Cleveland, but I take the 30 Rock approach. Like, we all want to live in Cleveland. You know, you just can't. You have responsibilities. You can't just run off to Cleveland whenever you want. So, <laughs> love that. I'll actually be in Chicago this coming week. Very excited for that, which also we could probably mention we're not going to have a Thursday episode this week. We are not. Yeah, because it's of that. summer. Enjoy your August. Yes, uh, agreed. we'll be back next Monday. Uh, but yeah, Brandon is playing at the United Center. <laughs> yep, I am. I wasn't invited to, but I'm just going to show up and hope for the best. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting. Oh, yeah. Going to Lollapalooza, though. Very, very much looking forward You're to playing that. Lollapalooza. Wow. I am. Yes, on the main stage. Again, I was not invited, but I'm just going to show up and hope for the best. Probably nice. have to break a few laws in the process, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm going to be yeah Chicago and I think Minneapolis. Have you ever been to Minneapolis before, Taylor? I have not. I've never been to the state of Minnesota at all, actually. It is a really, really cool city. I think that, like, if you are to – how would you – so if you were to go in, like, a ranking system of, like, A, B, C, D, where would you place Buffalo? Like, Buffalo is, like, a what-tier city, would you say? Mm. Maybe, like, a C? Yeah. Minneapolis is, like, the B equivalent of Buffalo, like yeah, okay. it's it's uh, it's much bigger scale, but there is uh, an unbelievable art scene there. The music scene is really great. It's just like a really cool downtown area there as well. Lots of great bars and restaurants. I think it, it does give me a lot of Buffalo vibes um, just on like a little bit of a bigger scale. So highly recommend like Minneapolis is is great. The The winters are absolute like sent from hell. Like they are bitterly cold with that wind chill out there. But beautiful place my sister lived there for like four or five years i want to say so i've spent a good amount of time in the twin cities and uh has a special place in my heart it's a really 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 cool place so nice i wonder what tj's is what is tjq's uh midwestern city let us know if you're listening to this what uh where you uh rank your midwestern cities 
All right. Taylor, your favorite question. Our our good pal Terrell. <laughs> he had asked, unfortunately, where is Pat Kane going to end up? Yeah, okay. So before I get to that, Terrell says greatest of all time. I don't know how serious Terrell is about that. <laughs> but there's a lot of people that describe Kane in really in a nonsensical argument to be like, oh, you don't want to sign him. He's the best American hockey player ever. Like he was. Or was he? Or was he? That it's regardless of what he's did in the past. Now, no, I don't care. And answer the question. Uh, I have no idea. But I'll say this before. It's time to uh, maybe well, that argument's made because some people say, you know, what about Austin Matthews? And he won't be as accomplished, but he'll have like more goals probably. And I think he's a better player than Kane. But folks, why why are we just glossing over a defenseman who played? Over 1,200 games and had more than 1,000 points, multiple 20-goal seasons. The last guy before Carlson to have 100 points in a season. 80 assists back in 1992. A Conn Smythe winner, a two-time Norris winner, a Calder winner, a many-time Norris finalist, and many-time All-Star. Why are we just, just going to skip over Brian Leach in the best American mm. player of all time conversation? Mm. I don't agree with that at all. I really? Think yeah, I think Brian Leach is the best American player. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, well, he played on both ends of the ice. I think that's that there is uh yeah, I think that's a really interesting argument. Maybe we do that for one of our upcoming episodes. We could do kind of like a, a debate of who we think the best American of all time is. Yeah, like at peak, it's got to be LaFontaine, right? Yeah, I would think, yeah. But he's hurt so much. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, well, well, I mean, it's not going to matter though because when we, if you ask this question ten years from now, the obvious answer is going to be Tage. Tage, yeah, of course. And then also, second is like Alex Tuck, I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, yeah. Third, Ryan Miller. So it won't really matter. The top five will just be Sabres by that point. Absolutely. So <laughs> as far as where he's going, it's a really weird situation because he probably cannot. Uh, he's skating, so I hear, but he can't actually play with contact until like December. So he's not going to start the season somewhere. And he... There's not a lot of proof of concept. He looked pretty bad last year. Mm -hmm. uh, people saw that in the playoffs. There was the a big stage. Was, was just completely nagging him, you know, Absolutely. and also it's just like an age thing too. It is. But yes, according to our hashtag sources, he is, he's up in Canada right now, rehabbing and skating. So we'll see how it goes. If I had to throw a team out there as just like this in theory, I guess would make sense. And they are the kind of team that would identify a guy like this. They have a prior connection to him. I'm going to go with Dallas. Dallas is a good answer. Yeah. They do love old guys in Dallas. They do. I was going to throw out just something that might make sense, depending on how good they are next year is the Capitals, but they also just might be terrible. So yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess too. we'll see. Uh, what's the next question? All right. We don't, we're winding down here. We have, I actually think we only have one more. I'm pretty sure. I have three on my side. Oh my God. All right. Well, uh, I'll ask my last one and then you could do the other two that you have. Okay. All right. I think this is a really, really good question. Patrick Wolf asks, do you think there is too little pressure to succeed? This was supposed to be a huge summer and it's been the exact opposite, yet there is no concern, no media questions, no frustration. GMKA has done very little roster supplementation and gets away with it every summer. Patrick, I think you are very, very fair to feel that way. And I'll be honest, I know it varies from, you know, people who are doing, you know, in the media are doing podcasts or who are blogging or writing, whatever. 
I think that there is there should be a ton of pressure here. I think Adam should absolutely feel it. And I think that if they regress at all this year, that next year is like his job is on the line. I think he's earned himself uh, obviously a good amount of security with that. I know that they had just signed extensions for him and Granado, but he's he's overseen two significant jumps and it's been through believing in this internal development which i think is absolutely fair but there is 100% going to be a point where that is going to have to turn and he's going to have to look to making some external upgrades here like you have to improve the roster now you, there's maybe some scenario where you get really lucky i guess you could call it maybe and your entire roster is just like the you know or 90 percent of the roster is just this like homegrown talent that you've been able to bring up through the ranks i don't think that that's very likely i also don't think that you necessarily need to wait for that i think that they are perfectly primed right now to be able to make a big move so that they can take that jump and can take that next step because they're ready to look at the rate that they scored at last year and we've talked about it you had career years from Tage and Tuck and Skinner and Darlene and Cousins. There is no guarantee that these guys are going to continue to to progress or they're going to put up the exact same numbers. Like regression is a very real possibility here. I, and I, obviously when we're saying regression, it's not like they're going to completely fall back down to earth on their face or anything like that. But like you may, you don't know how good you're going to continue to have it with these guys playing at this high of a level right now. So again, why not do whatever you can to put yourself over the top? And I, I agree that I think that there absolutely needs to be more pressure here. I, I think once the season gets started, we'll probably see that because right now, yeah, it's like the summer and people aren't as engaged with it. The bills are just starting up. So a lot of the media focus is right there. But I think once you get into training camp and it gets into the season, there's going to be a lot of it. And I'll tell you right now, if the season starts and as we've been talking about, I hope it doesn't happen, obviously, but if Levi stumbles out of the gate or not having a, a suitable replacement in the top six for Jack Quinn or making any additions to the forward group is like a glaringly obvious thing, the pressure is going to be sky high, in my opinion. Yeah. If so, Levi falters, and the, like we said, if Levi falters, they're fucked. And absolutely. If that is the case and he is not ready, oh boy, a storm is going to be coming. I agree. And I would say with the, the last thing that Patrick said about Kevin Adams getting away with it, it ties in with what you just said. If Levi falters, if the season doesn't start well, well, I mean, that's the whole thing. That's why he gets away with it, quote unquote, is because. Things have gone so well that they, you know, his first summer wasn't great. It was during COVID. It wasn't even the summer, honestly. It was fall when they were doing the, uh, he was, you know, doing basically the offseason was in fall that year. But anyway, it wasn't good. It, people did not blame him. People at that point were still confused that he even was a GM. But that first year was a disaster. And then the cleanup was so immediate. The switching off that old era last year was Sorry, two years ago was surprisingly good. Last year was better than people thought. They made two huge jumps point-wise. And then, you know, all of a sudden they were like a competitive team. So I think people kind of trust him. Like it's that's it's all a results thing. It's totally results business, even though I agree that in the summers he has done too little. Uh as far as the pressure goes, I don't from fans definitely, because fans are just excited they're good again. From ownership, I don't know. It's really hard to say. I don't think there's enough. <laughs> if they haven't made any moves, I mean but that's that could also be Terry staying out of it. 
you know, yeah. which I want. Yes, I want Terry to be, you know, keep things at an arm's length. Uh, don't be involved in the moves. Don't be like, you got to do this or that. No, that's fair. Taylor Hall thing in hindsight is so ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, I I kind of like that. But yeah, I I, I guess that the, the point here is that he's not acting with much urgency towards this having to be a playoff here. Absolutely true. Absolutely. They have to. I mean, it's there is no getting around it. It is playoffs or bust. If they do not make the playoffs this year, the season was a failure. Full yeah. stop, 100%. That is the bar. Yeah. And he's not acting with that kind of urgency, though. Right, and, but he needs to be, yeah. So yeah, so that's interesting. I I you. think Adams, if if this is the way to put it, he might be putting too little pressure on himself mm-hmm. uh, for this season to be a success. Now, so you don't have the other two questions here. You give it to me. Uh, did we do this one last time, Brendan L? What should be expectation for Powers' growth next season? Oh yeah, Are we like looking. I... Sorry. Yeah, are we looking for all offensive production or? to keep track, uh, keep on the track he followed last season. So we didn't do that last time. No, we didn't. And I think that's a really good question. I think it's a little bit of both in that sense. I mean, again, defensemen, it takes some time for you to really cook. And it's hard to, I guess, compare when it comes to like year over year, like, oh, this guy and the jump they had from year one to year two was like this. So so so-and-so should be that way too, or whatever you want to call it. But I think that power plays such a a smooth and mature and calm and collected game that as long as he doesn't deviate from that, we're going to continue to see a lot of the the growth that we saw this past year as compared to, for example, like a guy like Rasmus Dahlin or like a Quinn Hughes who are more offensively inclined. And that really is kind of like a big driver of their game. I think that with power, it's just reinforcing a lot of the, the skills that he has that make him such a valuable piece, which is, you know, his, his, again, his calm and collectedness with the puck on his stick, how good he is at exiting the zone, how good he is at breakout passes. Um, again, just his, his vision on the ice, his ability to read plays as teams are coming in, you know, both through the neutral zone and as they enter into the offensive zone and how he plays zone entries and things like that. There's obviously a lot of growth there that needs to happen. I mean, Christ, the, the, he's what, 19 years old right now or 20 years old. So there's a lot of growth there that, that can still happen. But I think that what works in his favor is that he is just, he, he has a style of, of play that is very much that of like a veteran that you wouldn't expect for somebody his age. And so I think it's a little bit of both again. Yeah. Like we had said, continuing on the development track and a lot of the progress that we saw last year, but on top of that, yeah, I mean, I would like to see some points if he's going to be on power play too. Yeah. I, I want 40 points from him next year for sure. I agree. Yeah, that's he. I, the good thing is his offensive um, instincts look good last year. His in general, his uh, his offensive game was solid. And I think it could be like a Cousins type thing. We look at it and it's like, well, I see good stuff, but where's the production? Mm-hmm. And I think maybe we get that next year. Out of I power. agree. The talent's all there. I guess what I really want to see, because I just believe it on the offensive side. I, we want to see production, obviously, on that side. But I really want to see growth on the defensive side. That's the main thing. He was not a very good defender last year, but he's all the talent in the world. So I believe he can be. Also, I was at the Wellington pub on hurdle this week and my Mm -hmm. bartender looked just like Owen power except shorter. So yeah, people all over Buffalo men in their early twenties are doing, it's called Owen powering. Owen power. And can you grow fantastic head of hair and you wear glasses, but you're like a, a handsome man with glasses, like a, like a, like in a movie, like, oh, this guy's so handsome, but he's wearing glasses, so you know he's smart. 
too. Mm, okay. So, love that. And we have one question left. And it might be the most important question of all. It's from Nick Konotopsky. He says, what's the premier high school in Western New York? Oh. And there's there's only one answer. Go for it's it. Bishop Timon St. Jude. Wow. My alma mater, your alma mater, you Nick's alma mater. First. Yeah, Nick, uh, beloved Timon graduate. So. What year was he? Your year. He's 2012. Wow. You remember that, obviously. Of course. Basketball star. Everyone loved him. Great, Great friends. Guy. We were always always hanging out around there, around around school and the school grounds on good old McKinley Parkway. That's right. And we love McKinley Parkway. And uh, you're going to hear about it more and more, folks. Yeah, so hey, thanks for the question, Nick. But it is good to remind people how important Bishop Timon is to this podcast. Because that's not mm-hmm. where me and Brendan met. But it is where Brendan became taller than me. It's where our love blossomed. Yes. Yeah, really great, great times at good old time and high. Yeah, one episode lift we should up just the do green stories. And the gold. Yeah, lift <laughs> up the green and the gold. Yeah, just stories from high school, and it just could be like this. Really happened in high school. This really happened at a high school that we paid thousands of dollars to go yep. to. Oh man, folks, you ever hear of Kaz Park? <laughs> yeah, I mean, something that happened stories. in school. Oh yeah, like very interesting. Fights very in the parking lot. And that was the teachers. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Shout out Nick, though. Cross-country star, Division One athlete. Oh, yeah. That, that one is actually real. He is a Division One athlete. For cross-country? Yeah. Is he really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Great guy. We love Very Kano. Cool. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate and we love Timon. I actually do love Timon. Some people on this podcast maybe don't as much. <laughs> I do. And I think Tigers actually are green. And also... If any Timon students are listening or anyone knows a student at Timon currently, uh, tell them that they should start singing Neck, the LSU song, at basketball games. Okay. Just a thought. Sage advice there, Taylor. That's wonderful. Do you have any uh, thoughts you'd like to share? Any any recommendations, perhaps? Wow. So we talked earlier this week. We didn't do any recommendations. but So I did the big movie weekend last weekend that everyone was talking about. Barbie. Oppenheimer, Mission Impossible, Insidious. I think I mentioned the first three on last week's, last Monday's pod. You did. But folks, Insidious uh, 5, The Red Door, not a great movie, but man, I was so surprised, I guess, is the best way to put it, that Patrick Wilson, who directed the movie and starred in it, also sang on the soundtrack oh. in the ending credits. He co-wrote a song with the band Ghost and said that that was jarring. The movie ends, the credits come on, and just I'm like, okay, it's a new song. Is that Patrick Wilson singing? Insane. No Insane. way. Yeah. Super wild. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing Barbie Wilson. this week, so very excited for that. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, I got to see Oppenheimer still, too. I'm very psyched. If you want to go when I get back from my trip, I totally will. Yeah, that's. Fun. I wish you do that. Let's do it. All right, folks. Remember, I, no no Thursday episode, so you won't no hear from Thursday us till next Monday. Can I quickly give? Uh, I don't want to go as far as to say an anti recommendation, but can I talk about something I did not like? Yeah, Secret Invasion, the latest Marvel show. I am very upset about this. I think I can go back to all of the previously released Disney Plus Marvel TV shows and am able to find 
something that makes me, I don't know, I guess you could call it a redeeming quality about it. Something that's like, okay, this wasn't like that bad or like whatever. This feels like the biggest missed opportunity possible because it is such an interesting storyline that they just botched six episodes. Each each episode was about 30 to 35 minutes long. Even the finale, it felt incredibly rushed. It felt like they didn't get to even like the really good, interesting stuff that they could have done with the story until the last episode. But the last episode felt so uninspiring, unmoving, there were some good scenes in it, but overall it just felt just rushed and forced. A lot of the dialogue was just so bad. And I think that they just, they misused some of the characters. I mean, again, like everybody loves Samuel L. Jackson, one of the best actors of our time, Nick Fury, great character. And it just felt like they did not do that story justice at all. And again, the whole thing with like the scroll invasion and the premise of it without giving away any spoilers or anything like that felt like they completely botched that. There were there's also this thing that Marvel does and they've been doing it in like all of their Disney Plus shows, just about all of them, where there is like a very obvious big pressing question that's like looming throughout the entirety of the series after like a major plot reveal happens and they just like intentionally don't answer it and it bothers the hell out of me. And they're, are you going to watch this show? No way. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to just talk about this. And so spoilers ahead. If you're trying to watch secret invasion, I'm about to spoil something for you. Skip ahead or end the episode, whatever. One of the key pieces of the show is that we come to find out that Rhodes, Colonel Rhodes, Don Cheadle's character has been a scrawl for an undefined amount of time, as has been the case for Martin Freeman's character, Everett Ross, too. So two pretty key pieces of the MCU, one of which being a goddamn Avenger, have been scrolls. okay? Very interesting direction to take with the story. I, I was not mad about that, that they did it. They ended the season without revealing how long he has been a scroll for. And I get it. You get people talking and whatnot, but that is such like an integral piece to this story to leave out. And it makes it feel like, I don't know. It, it, to me, it made it feel like it just took away so much from the story that they weren't revealing that. Like the, yeah. how, how are you going to have that be one of the key pieces of the story and not say how long this guy has been abducted for and has not been himself? Because again, it's like, is this at end game? Like did Rhodes actually see Tony die? Does, did it happen during like the Falcon and the winter soldier, which he had an appearance in? Did it happen all the way back in civil war where they replaced him? We don't know. And so it just, it really bothered me that like, how are you not going to answer that? Because it felt like there was just so much left to be desired with the show to begin with that they, them not answering that question bothered the hell out of me. And there's a lot of stuff within the show that I'm like, how are you not going to answer that? One nice thing I will say about it though, Olivia Coleman's character fucking awesome she is such a great actress in her role she absolutely killed it easily the most interesting character in the show 100 far and away bar none yeah it does have a crazy cast i just looked so olivia coleman that's one that's like holy shit they got her that's wild they have my dude ben mendelson who i love uh so yeah you'd, you'd think it'd be a better Miss show used him as well it felt like yeah that's unfortunate uh the mcu's dead they're just walking around not knowing it yet 
That's my opinion. I mean, dude, like that's what it's just so frustrating because this is the first time that I've been like, oh man, like, and, and I don't even want to go as far to say like fatigue because like the thing is, is like if you're making good shows and you're making stuff that actually has like compelling plots that are actually interweaving and connected to each other, people are going to be into that. And it's not like you can get the fatigue or anything like that. But what is so goddamn annoying is the fact that it just feels like they're just like, making it up as they go along without it having the same kind of interconnectivity that it had <clears throat> through the first three phases of, of the MCU. And it's just like so many missed opportunities here. It's, it's really, really frustrating. And I'm really hoping that they end up writing the ship soon and, and getting this shit figured out because it's just really taking away from the quality of the product. And you know me, I'm like a big Marvel defender, but this just felt like it was just, it fell flat and was so disappointing. So that's all I'm going to say about it, but go Olivia Coleman. She was, absolutely awesome in it watch fleabag everyone there That's you go recommendation she's the the best um one of the best non-evil villains i've ever seen amazing it's amazing. not that kind of show like that has villains but she's a stepmom and she's so bad it's great cool uh but she's great yeah love it folks right. we'll see you monday we'll see you monday everybody thanks so much for tuning into this episode of straight up sabers we hope you have a great week week this week this episode has been brought to you by the hockey podcast network and the charging buffalo make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode make sure checking out all of our fellow shows and you're following both the hockey podcast network and the charging buffalo on social media where you can also find us facebook twitter and instagram straight up sabers at straight sabers on twitter and before you close out of this episode make sure you leave us a nice little rating or review on whatever streaming platform you are using to listen to straight up sabers last but not least we have our wonderful sponsors both DraftKings and thin man brewery use that promo code thpn at checkout at DraftKings to take advantage of great deals and make sure you're stopping by thin man brewery thin man chandler to get a nice little dinner some drinks whatever it may be a happy hour action or if you're just going shopping and you see some thin man beers pick those up too cannot recommend enough thin man brewery everybody again we'll be back with a brand new episode on monday of next week thanks so much for tuning in this has been straight up savers <laughs>